Welcome back to Season 11 of the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, where we connect the science-based evidence behind social and emotional learning and emotional intelligence training for improved well-being, achievement, productivity, and results using what I saw as the missing link since we weren't taught this when we were growing up in school, the application of practical neuroscience. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning, and launched this podcast five years ago with the goal of bringing all the leading experts together in one place to help us to apply this research in our daily lives. Welcome back to part seven of our review of Wallace D. Waddle's The Science of Getting Rich. In this classic book on thinking, this book describes how each of us shapes the events around us, creating much of the positive riches in our own personal and professional lives. Rhonda Byrne, the creator of the movie The Secret, said she stumbled across the science of getting rich and has never been the same. And this was one of the first seminars I sold when I worked with Bob Proctor back in the late 90s. And he mentioned to me on our interview on episode 66 that his business took off after Rhonda Burns' The Secret took off. So there is true magic within the words written within these pages. And like all of the books we dive deep into, it's the application of what we read here that has the potential to change our life forever. If you enjoyed our deep dive into Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich book or the four-part series of the Silva Method that we're going to revisit after this study is complete, the concepts that we cover in this review go hand-in-hand with those deep dives. I'm currently studying Hill's Think and Grow Rich book again with Paul Martinelli, who teaches this book like no one else. And I'm constantly reminded of how important our ability to think really is. Napoleon Hill titled his book with four simple words. He picked think and grow as the first three. And we covered in this series the power of our thoughts. Now we're learning through the words of Wallace D. Waddles that once we know how to think and grow, we can next add the rich part. And he shows us that there is a science to this. And I always add that it's not just rich financially, but we grow rich in our knowledge, rich in our potential, and we need money to keep learning and growing. So yes, rich financially. Which brings us to chapter 11 of the book, Acting in the Certain Way. Have you noticed up until now, we've been focused on thinking in a certain way in this book study. Now we're at a pivotal part of the book where we've got a shift from thinking to now acting in a certain way. And this chapter caught me off guard while writing this review, and it was a huge aha moment of learning for me. I've been studying this book since June of 1999 when I attended my first live seminar with Bob Proctor on this book, and I sold this seminar over a span of six years meaning that I had to convey to others what this seminar was about in order for them to attend. And it hit me when I got to this chapter on acting in the certain way that up until now, 25 years later, I realized I wasn't thinking at all while I was reading and studying and learning this book. You know, when you read something quickly, you can miss the meaning. Granted, this isn't the easiest book to read, written in 1910, and it's got abstract concepts on thinking in this certain way that I really didn't understand back then. When I got to this chapter, I thought it was another chapter on thinking and acting in this certain way, and I wondered why he wrote the book with a whole other chapter, just like chapter four, where he already covered the first principle in the science of getting rich that was about the power of our thoughts. I misread the title that says acting in this certain way, and I missed the whole point that Waddles was making. That's why it's so important to study these classic books on success year after year, revealing new truths and understanding for us. Waddles spent the first 10 chapters of this book talking about the importance of our thinking. 
and only now, at chapter 11, did he approach the acting part of the syllabus. Another part of this book that I missed is that Waddles repeats the syllabus over and over again in the book, but he doesn't repeat the whole syllabus at once. He adds the parts that he's covering in each chapter, revealing a bit more of the syllabus for us as we progress through the book. He only reveals the part of the syllabus on acting in a certain way at the end of this chapter, and he adds the lines that they may receive what he wants when it comes, a person must now act upon the people and things in his environment. So a person must act as well as think. Waddles opens up chapter 11 by bridging the first 10 chapters we've just read when he says that thought is the impelling force that causes the creative power to act. Thinking in a certain way will bring riches to you, but you must not rely on thought alone, paying no attention to personal action. Once we perfect thinking in this certain way, it's time to move on to acting in this certain way. And when I read the line, a person must act as well as think, line 10 on chapter 11, I know it means taking action on whatever it is that we want, but I couldn't help but think of Stella Adler's The Art of Acting here that we covered on episode 288 last May. It was today, January 15th, 2016, eight years ago, that I attended my last live seminar with Bob Proctor, where I wrote about him talking on stage with Oscar Award winner Phil Goldfein. Phil was a master at acting in this certain way, and I mean taking action that would lead him to whatever goal he had, whether it was what he did to become an Oscar Award winner or the daily training he endured for swimming. In an article written about him in 2019, Oscar and Emmy Award winner Phil Goldfein shares the five things you need to know to succeed in show business. His first tip is to take action, action, action every day to get things done. And it's this chapter of the book that I think can change a person's entire life if they read this early in their lives. The action that we take on a daily basis really matters. There's many layers of meaning in this chapter, and I hope to unravel them in this review, tying together many of our recent episodes, like Dr. Joe Dispenza's work that jumps out at me while I'm reading this chapter. On line 19 of chapter 11, Waddle says, By thought you can cause the gold in the hearts of the mountains to be impelled towards you, but it will not mine itself, refine itself, coin itself into double eagles, and come rolling along the roads into your pockets. Like Phil Goldfein said, it takes action, action, action. Next, Waddles reviews all the concepts in prior chapters by saying, you must give each person more in use value than he gives you in cash value, and that you must use your faith and purpose to positively impress your vision upon the formless substance, which has the same desire for more life than you have. And this vision, received from you, sets all the creative forces at work in and through their regular channels of action, but directed toward you. And all you have to do is retain your vision, stick to your purpose, and maintain your faith and gratitude. Then he says it. He says you must act in this certain way. And if you can hear what this certain way is, especially for young adults, this concept is worth all the gold in the mountains that Waddles was describing. I've got to say I am so grateful to have started to read this book in my late 20s, but I'm 52 now and I'm still sharpening these ideas. Waddles gives us what I think is one of the key secrets to thinking and acting in this certain way here when he says, By thought, the thing you want is brought to you. By action, you receive it. If I was to write anything down or highlight anything, it's where Waddles bridges the concept of thinking and acting in this certain way. Next, he warns us that if you act in the present, With your mind in the future, 
Present action will be with a divided mind, and it will not be effective. Put your whole mind into present action. And isn't that what Dr. Joe Dispenza taught us with his predictable timeline, where we've got to learn to focus on the present moment? Waddles describes this similarly, but he adds an important angle by saying you cannot act where you are not. You cannot act where you have been, the past. And you cannot act where you are going, in the future. You can only act where you are. And this is what I think changed everything I do in all areas of my life. Even though I missed the title of chapter 11, the next three words come into my head over and over again over the years. He says, do not dwell on whether yesterday's work was well or poorly done. Do today's work well. Do not try to do tomorrow's work now. There'll be plenty of time to do that when tomorrow comes. Then he reminds us, do not wait for a change of environment before you act. Cause a change of environment through action. Whenever you're unhappy in your present environment, Waddle suggests to act on your present environment with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind. Hold the vision of yourself in the right business with the purpose to get into it and the faith that you'll get into it. But act in your present business. And I've been in exactly this spot where I know that I'm in the wrong place of work and the natural urge is to stop working hard and focus on the place of work that you desire to be in. But Waddles would say this is not going to get you there according to his science. He would suggest that you hold the vision of yourself in the job that you want while you act with faith and purpose on the job that you have, and you'll certainly get the job that you want. Your vision and faith will set the creative forces in motion to bring it towards you, and your action will cause the forces in your own environment to move you towards the place that you want. So as you take action in your present environment, you'll begin to change, and you'll outgrow your present environment preparing you for the new environment that you'll be moving towards. And as you move towards it, it also begins to move towards you. How does this happen? This is where Waddle's timeless book connects back to what we covered in such depth with Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich book. By thinking and acting in this certain way, we change our frequency or our vibration until we're on the same frequency as whatever it is that we want. Waddles ends this chapter by revealing the last part of the syllabus on acting in this certain way when he adds the lines that he may receive what he wants when it comes. A person must act now upon the people and things in his present environment, not past environment and not future environment. Act now. So how do we put chapter 11 into practice? Write out in clear detail what it is that you want. I remember the first time I did this activity, I sketched out a house that I wanted to live in that looks a lot like the house I'm currently living in. And see if you can strengthen how you can see what you want or what you've written out on the screen of your mind. Next, write out some of your next steps or actions that you'll take to bring whatever it is that you want closer to you, the action part. And this is where I'll always say to dream big or be careful what it is you wish for or dream about because you may just end up one day living the dream in reality that you shape so carefully on the screen of your mind. Moving on to chapter 12 of the book, Effective Action. And just as there's an effective and ineffective way to think, there's also an effective and ineffective way to act. So what is effective action? When we take any productivity course, we learn how to plan our day the night before so we can make use of our time in our day. Time wasting is one of my biggest pet peeves. I don't like wasting my time or other people's time, and it's probably because I can see how detrimental it can be for my own goals, as well as that other person if I'm wasting their time. 
Waddles believes in not just taking action in the present moment, but by making sure it's effective action with everything that you do. And this is why I like interviewing others, especially those who are high performing, to see how they think and act every day to hit such high levels of achievement. While writing these episodes, I do like to go back and look at past episodes to see what connections can be made. And revisiting episode 38 and episode 166 makes sense here to see how pro athletes and their coaches think and act in this certain way to attain such high levels of achievement. When you watch a professional at work, you'll see it. They're involved in effective action. Waddles brings our attention to the fact every day that it's either a success or a failure and it matters what action we take every day. The funny thing, while writing this episode, my oldest daughter came to me with something I had to sign for her schoolwork at the high school level with any suggestions that I might have for her to improve on. And she passed me this sheet of paper and said, just sign it and say you agree with it. And I read what she'd written, and she hadn't even completed the sentences on the page that she asked me to sign. She was not taking effective action and then was asking me to sign and say I was okay with her putting in half the effort. You better believe this led to a discussion on doing your best with everything that you do. Taking effective action is not just for our work, but it's for how we live our life. Do we make our bed with half the effort? Do we wash up half the dishes? Do we clean half our house or only keep half of the interior of our cars clean? If we can teach this concept to our children when they're young, they'll be living one of the most important and timeless lessons that I've seen in all my years of studying the characteristics of high performers. Waddles reminds us in this chapter that the world is advanced only by those who can more than fill their present places, and that every day is either a successful day or a day of failure. And this sentence almost haunts me with my daily work when he says, If there is something that must be done today and you do not do it, you've failed insofar as that thing is concerned. Have you ever said you're going to do something, like go to the post office to mail something for an example, and the day gets away and you've not done that thing that you said you were going to do? Waddles would say that you failed with that action. When you fail to take action, you mess up all the future possibility associated with that action that you were supposed to take. He says you cannot foresee the results of even the most trivial act. You do not know the workings of all the forces that have been set moving on your behalf. So think to all the times when massive change happened in your life. I bet it was because you were taking efficient action and it was not by chance or luck. So if I write down that I'm going to the post office tomorrow, I'll be haunted by Waddle's words until I've done what I said I was going to do. Do every day all that can be done that day. Waddle's does remind us that we're not to overwork or to rush blindly into our business in the effort to do the greatest possible number of things in the shortest possible time. If at the end of the day, there are still dishes in the sink unwashed, this would not be a fail according to this chapter if we gave our best. Do every day all that can be done today to live with efficient action consistently every day. But if for some reason something doesn't get completed, it goes at the top of the list to be completed tomorrow. And remember, It's not the number of things I do, but the efficiency of each separate action that counts. He also says that every action is either weak or strong. When everyone is strong, you are activating in this certain way that will make you rich. Every act can be made strong by holding your vision while you're doing it and by putting the whole power of your faith and purpose into it. Aim to do everything with strength, and he says that every success that you encounter opens up to the way of other successes. Successful action is cumulative in its results. And this is incentive enough 
to always do our very best. Do every day all that you can that day, and do each act in an efficient manner, and you'll find the right balance for you. Waddles ends this chapter by slightly changing the closing statements of the syllabus to bring us to where we are now in our study by reading the syllabus as we know it and adding, "He must form a clear mental picture of the thing he wants, and he must do with faith and purpose all that can be done each day, doing each separate thing in an efficient manner. And if you do what Waddles suggests here." And turn the science of getting rich into a habit. I can guarantee that when riches begin to come, they'll come so quickly in such great abundance that you'll wonder where they were hiding all those lean years. And that's from Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich book. So, how do we put Chapter Twelve into practice? Write out your list of whatever you intend to accomplish the night before your workday. And while going about your day, ask yourself: Did I execute that task with effective action? Next to each of your daily tasks, put a check mark if you think you accomplished this. If not, just keep working on doing all you can effectively every day until you can honestly put a check mark next to everything that you do, and extend this activity. Once you've begun to execute every task effectively, and it becomes a habit, keep your eyes open for the doors that will open up to you because of this. This is what I'd like you to know. If you've noticed that you're able to advance yourself forward in this way using these principles, please send me a message. I'm always looking for people who think and act in this certain way. And that brings us to Chapter Thirteen: Getting into the Right Business. I always remember loving this chapter because it separates those who will work hard for what they want from those who won't. Waddle says success in any particular business depends, for one thing, upon you possessing, in a well-developed state, the faculties required in that business. And he reminds us that without good musical faculty, no one can succeed as a teacher of music. He goes on to explain that many people can be working in a certain field, and he gives examples like blacksmiths and carpenters who have excellent mechanical ability, but they do not get rich. It's here that Waddles talks about the various faculties of your mind that are the tools for which you must do the work, which is to make you rich. He says it will be easier for you to find success if you get into a business you are well equipped with mental tools. He's talking beyond our God-given talents and abilities. It will be with the use of our mental tools or the faculties of our mind that will bring us riches. And we covered beyond our five senses, developing these six higher faculties of our mind on episode two ninety-four. If you want to review it. Have you ever wondered where am I best fitted in your career? And it's here we must do some soul searching and answer the question that we asked in part six of this series: What is your desire that's seeking expression with and through you? This desire in you—it's the urge of the original substance containing all the possibilities of life. Listen to this quiet voice within you. To know for certain that you're working in the right business, because that desire seeking expression with and through you has tremendous power. Where there is a strong desire to do a thing, it's proof that the power to do it is strong and only needs to be developed and applied in the right way. It's this desire with this power attached to it that will keep you working and applying effort. During difficult times, he says, "Do not be afraid to make a sudden or radical change if the opportunity is presented, and if you feel, after careful consideration, that it is the right opportunity. And don't worry, you'll end up in the wrong place or miss the boat for the right place, because as you go on in this certain way, opportunities will come to you in increasing numbers."
So how do we put chapter 13 into practice? Chapter 13 ends with a reminder of the syllabus to do all you can in a perfect manner every day, but do it without haste, worry, or fear. Go as fast as you can, but never in a hurry. When you see yourself hurrying, stop. Fix your attention on the mental image of what you want to begin and give thanks that you're getting it. This exercise of gratitude will never fail to strengthen your faith and renew your purpose. He's asking us in chapter 13 to make sure we're living chapters 4, thinking in a certain way, chapter 14, the impression of increase, by reaching for more of what you want, and finally chapter 7, by connecting ourselves to our source with a deep feeling of gratitude. So to review and conclude part 7 of our review of Wallace D. Waddles' The Science of Getting Rich, we covered chapter 11, Acting in This Certain Way, where we looked at the importance of how a person must act as well as think. We spent some time separate thinking in a certain way that Waddles covered in the first 10 chapters of this book to acting in the certain way that he covers chapters 11 to 17. And we did an activity at the end of this chapter where we sketched out what we want on the screen of our mind, thinking in this certain way with the action steps to take by acting in this certain way to bring whatever it is towards us. We looked at chapter 12, Effective Action, where Waddles reminds us to do every day all that can be done that day, and the importance of being effective with our daily actions. The activity we did at the end of this chapter was for us to self-evaluate whether we think we were effective with our daily tasks by putting a check mark next to our daily tasks if we thought we performed them effectively. And we extended this activity by making it a habit to always execute our daily tasks effectively. Don't do anything halfway. Do all you can effectively in one day without rushing. Then we looked at chapter 13, getting into the right business. And it's here we revisited the question, what is your desire that's seeking expression with and through you? And we make sure that we're doing everything we can every day efficiently while holding the image of what we want and being grateful for every single good thing that comes our way. And while writing these steps, it just feels a little bit like juggling. We started this book study by juggling the concepts of chapters 4, 14, and 7, and we were urged to read these chapters for 90 days so we can solidify these ideas into our mind. And then we started to work through the chapters of the book, with the first 10 chapters being about thinking in a certain way, and the last seven are about acting in this certain way. And if we can learn to juggle the chapters of this book with accuracy and not drop any concepts, we'll meet with riches that will come so quickly and in such great abundance that we'll wonder where they were hiding all those lean years. It's here that I go back to part five of our review, where we started into the chapters of the book, and I'll read it again. Waddle says, There is a science of getting rich, and it is an exact science like algebra or arithmetic. There are certain laws which govern the process of acquiring riches. Once these laws are learned and obeyed by man or woman, they will get rich with mathematical certainty. We've learned specific ways to think and act that make sense to me that when we sharpen our mental abilities and follow the formula that Waddle suggests, thinking and acting in this certain way, that failure of whatever it is that we want is impossible. What do you think? Moving on to chapter 15 of the book, because we already covered chapter 14, Chapter 15 is the advancing man or woman. And I love this chapter, especially when I see this in others. And this is not easy to see in ourselves since it takes time for us to see our own advancements until one day we look back and bam, we see it. 
Then we wonder, how in the earth did we get to where we ended up? Or as Hill says, that one day when we least expect it, we'll meet with riches that come quickly and in such abundance that we wondered where they were hiding those lean years. Like Ryan O'Neill from episode 203, who I watched over time completely transform his career reading this book. And it's actually Ryan's copy of the book that I used in every graphic for each of the sessions. Waddle says that the advancing man who holds a clear mental image of himself or herself as successful and who obeys the laws of faith, purpose, and gratitude will cure every curable case he undertakes, no matter what remedies he may use. In chapter 16 of this book, he lists some cautions. This chapter is important to read to see what Waddles believes we should be cautious about. First, he says, be careful what you speak about. And I'll never forget this line where he says, never speak of times as being hard or of business conditions as being doubtful. Times may be hard and business doubtful for those on the competitive plane, but they can never be so for you. You can create what you want to create, and you're above fear. When others have hard times and poor business, you'll find great opportunities. This one is essential for anyone and everyone to practice. Remember in my early days of sales, when someone would ask, Hey, Andrea, how's business going? And it was difficult. It's never easy. I would always say, though, it's booming regardless of how it was really going. This is a habit that will get you through some rough snowstorms and blizzards of life. I remember this caution now without even trying. Things were not always easy for me in my early days of living in the United States, coming from Toronto, Canada, but I knew that they would give me my character, my backbone, and determination to get me through the difficult times that are a natural part of this thing called life. You'll never hear me complaining of those days when money was tight, because looking back now, there was so much to be grateful for in those lean years. He also cautions us in this book, never allow yourself to feel disappointed. And this one is valuable. You'll save yourself so much heartache if when something doesn't work out the way you want, that you grab hold of the lessons learned and keep moving. Waddle suggests you may expect to have a certain thing at a certain time and you don't get it at that time. This will seem to be a failure, but if you hold to your faith, you'll find that failure is only apparent. Go on in a certain way and if you do not receive that thing, you'll receive something so much better that you'll see the seeming failure was a prelude to a great success. Practice this one. I can only say from experience, this one always works. Now, I rarely quote my dad on this podcast, but I will hear. He used to always say this, Andrea, what's for you won't go by you. And this is true. You'll never miss the boat for something that's meant for you. I heard this said another way that if you miss the boat at some point and the opportunity was really meant for you and you missed it, don't worry, keep working and the boat will come back for you time and time again until you jump on it. His final suggestion, he says, study this book. He suggests to make it your constant companion until you've mastered the ideas contained in it. Isn't this the truth? While you may come across some parts of the book that you disagree with or find outdated or old-fashioned, if you can get the main points of this book where he teaches us to think in a certain way, chapters 1 to 10, and then how to act in a certain way, chapters 11 to 17, I'm certain your life will change. When we can make these concepts a habit, we'll certainly notice that money flows easily to us. And like I mentioned in the beginning of this study, Once we've mastered these principles ourselves, our next course of action is to go out and see how we can help others. And chapter 17 of this book is a review. And Waddles writes his review of this book in just over two pages. And for those people closest to me, they know that I have a really hard time saying anything I think that's important in just a few words. 
So to close out this book study, I can see that by far the most important part of this review is the syllabus. And maybe this is a lesson for me to learn. The science of getting rich is all about the syllabus. This whole book can be summed up in five paragraphs, not 17. I have this syllabus laminated so I can pin it up in my office wall and read it next to my goals. It's easy to look back now that we've reached the end of this study, and I can tell you that I sold this seminar without truly understanding the contents of this book until now, 25 years later. I mentioned that I missed the fact that the first 10 chapters were about thinking in this certain way, and the last seven were about acting in this certain way, and I wonder what else I could have missed, which is why Waddles suggests to keep this book as your companion until you've achieved the results that you're looking for. So if I read the book without completely understanding it, implementing some, not all of Waddle's concepts, and I still created everything that I've ever wanted over the years, or at least all the goals I've written out I've attained, so I just keep adding new ones each year for continual growth, then I can say to you, the listener, to just read the book, begin your study, and let me know where it takes you. You don't need to understand or implement every chapter, but just begin. And I know there's so much more for me to learn, which is why I'm doing this podcast, but what a life we can create when we think it's impossible to fail. I just saw that Lewis House, the podcaster who runs the School of Greatness, just covered Rhonda Burns, who read this book and was never the same, and used the concepts she learned from this book to form the ideas that you see in the movie The Secret. And if you want to hear Rhonda Burns' thoughts on this subject, I'll link her episode with Lewis in the show notes. She's got some incredible tools that can help people to create prosperity thinking, which I thought was the most important part of this book study. To review and conclude this book study, I thought a good way to end would be with practical, real-life lessons learned attached to the seven parts of this study so we can begin to think about applying these concepts in our own daily lives. So putting part one into action, prosperity consciousness, I suggest finding the joy in lean or difficult times. Money doesn't bring you happiness, but happiness brings you money. That's something to think about. If any of you are listening to this series and think you have a poverty mindset, join the club. This is where I was before studying this material, and it's been quite a process for me along the way. I told my story of running out of gas when I only had $16 in my bank account, but I knew in those early days, it was around 2001, how important prosperity thinking was and being truly happy even in those lean times since I was selling the seminar back there, so it was pretty fresh in my mind. I look back now to those early days and those difficult times hold such joy for me. It sounds odd to say this, but they really do. I remember when I was working as a nanny at one of Arizona's most beautiful resorts and I could hear the birds singing while walking with someone's youngster, trying to create mystery and intrigue for them walking through the resort. I knew all the secret passageways and I would take these young kids through those passageways telling them stories that only the walls could tell. And they listened to these stories and the scavenger hunts with their eyes wide open. Prosperity thinking took me some time, but the key to all of it was to find the joy when times were difficult and then be open to what I would discover. Where would those lean times lead me? While experiencing those moments of joy, I know I felt it from the inside out, and I gave my best to each family, which was taking efficient action. And at the end of providing the best service I could, I gave them more in use value with each family. I often received very large tips. And back then, a large tip for me was over $100. And I'll never forget the families who gave back to me when I needed it the most, allowing me to remember that when I'm able to, I will do the same. Putting part two into action. This was the first principle of the science of getting rich, getting comfortable with money. 
And this is a hard one to do when money is lean. How do you hold it, feel it, and get comfortable with it when you haven't got it? In this chapter, I showed a photo of Grant Cardone and his children playing a game where they were fishing for $100 bills. If you can play games with money, even Monopoly money, teaching our children what it looks and feels like to touch money, to hand it out, to have a lot of it, to throw it up in the air, you'll be teaching them to become comfortable with money. Money is not to be feared. We can all earn it, and it's given to us in exchange for services rendered. So how do I teach my children to become comfortable with money? When money was tight before I had my kids, I showed children that I worked with to see the natural beauty around them. We didn't spend any money on our nature walks, talking about the past history of some of Arizona's most precious landmarks, opening their eyes to ways they could create and innovate in their futures. And these nature walks were behind the books I would write in the future. Now I have my own children, and I want to teach them to be comfortable with money and not fear it. So once in a balloon moon, I'll say when we've set aside some extra money, let's go to the shopping mall and we'll find something that we really love. And the important part with the shopping spree that we take is that we do not look at the price on the label of what we find. And this is difficult because we really want to look at the label, but I instruct them to pick something out and they must not know the price. We want to get comfortable with not being afraid to spend money. It's not to be feared. If you have it, it's an important part of getting comfortable with money. Also, not being afraid it will be spent and you won't have any more left. So when we're at the mall and our oldest daughter needed a pair of sunglasses, she had a concussion in the summer and she was sensitive to sunlight, so she needed a good pair. And instead of looking at $20 glasses in one of the stores, I said, why don't you try on a pair of these sunglasses? And we walked to some beautiful glasses in this case. And these are designer glasses and not something a teenager would usually buy. But from the point of learning this lesson, and this is once in a blue moon, so she agreed to try on some of the glasses from the section she would not normally be looking in. She found two pairs, and one was much cheaper than the first pair. And I told her, don't look at the price, but she did. And then the sales clerk came by and spoiled my plan when she said, Oh, these ones are double the price of those, kind of pushing the cheaper ones forward. And I knew she loved the expensive pair. I could just tell. When I asked her which pair she wanted, she picked the cheaper pair. And I asked her if she picked the cheaper pair to save us money. And she said yes. So I said she'd like this pair. And I handed her the pair that was double the price. Now, I can't make this up, but this is the whole reason why it's important to not look at pricing and pick what you love if you have the money and you're not afraid to spend it and then not afraid that you won't have any more again. When the sales clerk rang up the expensive pair of sunglasses, she got this weird look on her face. She kept typing the numbers in again and she said, I don't know what's happening, but this pair that should be double the price is ringing up much less than the other pair. There's some glitch. So she charged us for much less for the expensive pair of glasses, putting this lesson of getting comfortable with money into practice. Moving into putting part three of this series into action, living the impression of increase. So how do we take this concept and put it into action in our daily lives? It's all about taking the focus off ourselves and directing it towards others. Since all people seek this increase, if we become someone who inherently gives it to others, we'll become in demand. The example I wanted to share here is that we can all give increase to others, even if we're living in lean or difficult times ourselves. We just need to be aware so we can act quickly. And this is where I've got to say that I'm guilty sometimes of not being aware. Sometimes I'm standing in line at a grocery store and I'm just zoning out, thinking of all the things I've got to do next. Let's go back 20 years ago. I was in those lean times and I was doing this exact same thing while standing in line. 
If we want to live the impression of increase every day, we've got to be aware. One day I was standing in line to pay for groceries, and this was a time when I had to make the money I was earning stretch very far. I was tired and I wasn't paying attention to the fact that the guy ahead of me was trying to buy diapers for his family. He was trying to pay with some sort of voucher that the store wouldn't take. Now, fast forward to when I had my kids, diapers were really expensive. This was something he needed and I missed the opportunity to offer to help him. I had enough money to pay for my food and his diapers, but he was sent away. And I remember trying to catch up to him afterwards in the parking lot to say I could help, but he was gone. It's not a fun experience standing at the cash register when you can't pay for something. So for this lesson, I would say be aware of where you can help others. And if you can, lend a hand. I always regretted not paying attention and missing the opportunity to help that young man. Moving into putting part four into action. And it's all about reading chapters four, 14, and seven for 90 days, paying attention to each chapter, and this alone will change your world. I challenge you to read chapters four, 14, and seven of this book for 90 days, and just let me know what happens. Moving on to putting part five into action, developing a rock-solid mental mindset. Reading chapters one, The Right to Be Rich, chapter two, There's a Science of Getting Rich, chapter three, Is Opportunity Monopolized, and chapter five on Increasing Life, we were working on our mental faculties. And this first part of the book, or thinking in this certain way, takes time. If you want to know how you're thinking... Look at the results you're achieving. This is a clear sign. And if you like the results that someone else is achieving, ask them, what is your mental mindset as it relates to your work? And you'll learn something new that you can apply to strengthen your own. Rome wasn't built in one day, and our mindset and ability to think in this certain way takes time and practice. But this is the foundation for what we're building here. Then putting part six into action, uncovering what you really want. In part six, we're still working through how to think in this certain way, covering chapter six, how riches come to you. Chapters eight, thinking in the certain way. Chapter nine, how to use the will. And remember, chapter 10 was also further uses of the will. We looked at ideas for creating multiple sources of income here and ways to further strengthen our mental abilities by referring back to Think and Grow Rich or the Silva Method. And this whole time, we're letting the syllabus sink into our daily life and becoming familiar with chapters 4, 14, and 7. And then finally, putting part 7 into action. And it's here we cover chapters 11 to 17, the final chapters of this book, that are focused on acting in this certain way. We're reminded that a person must act as well as think and how important our daily actions are. It's here that productivity courses come to mind to sharpen our daily routines. Waddles believes in not just taking action in the present moment, but by making sure it's effective action with everything that you do. Some final thoughts here as we close out our book study. For a book that I was hesitant to cover, I'm so glad I did. It was a mindset shift for me to pick the science of getting rich notes and study guides and worksheets out of the back of my closet and begin to study them the end of last year. I hope you've enjoyed looking at the deeper meaning behind the words of Wallace D. Waddles with me, where he shows us that there is a science of getting rich and it's about thinking and acting in this certain way. So to review and conclude this last episode, we reviewed part one, prosperity consciousness, finding the joy in lean or difficult times. And I leave you with the question, what's your story for this example? How do you find the joy in lean or difficult times? We looked at part two, the first principle of the science of getting rich, getting comfortable with money. And I ask you, What's your story for this example? 
How have you worked on your own prosperity consciousness? And we looked at part three, living the impression of increase. How do you live this thinking of others in your daily life? Part four is gratitude. How do you put faith into action, which forms gratitude, into your daily life? Then part five was all about developing a rock-solid mental mindset. How do you strengthen your mental mindset? And then part six, uncovering what we really want. And I ask, are you aware of what it is that's seeking expression with and through you? What are you doing to develop your talents and abilities? What multiple sources of income can you set up with these talents? So our closing steps, and I have four of them. I encourage everyone to read chapters 4, 14, and 7 for 90 days as an action item to studying this book. The second is to print a copy of the syllabus and put it somewhere where you'll be able to see it and read it. Then read the syllabus every day for 90 days along with chapters 4, 14, and 7. And finally, come up with your own examples that go with the seven parts of the book. And I had to really think to create mine. And you can see when the principles are in action, along with the change in thinking, this is when the magic will happen. You'll begin to act and think in this certain way. And my goal for the end of this review is to show that without a shadow of a doubt, we all have the ability to think and grow rich like we learned from Napoleon Hill's study with our potential as well as our finances and that there is a science to doing this using Wallace D. Waddle's principles. And if we can do the hard work involved using persistence like we did while reading chapters 4, 14, and 7 for 90 days, we'll sharpen our ability to think make connections, grow from what we've learned, and then finally apply what we've learned and we'll see that failure is impossible. We just need to keep thinking and growing and acting in this certain way. I'll see you next week. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com. 